This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Welcome back to Jamie All Over. I am inserting this little intro for two reasons. One, to warn you that my track for the upcoming interview did not record. I'm almost a year into this podcast and I'm still coming across audio mistakes and issues. So I learn something almost every single time. I guess that's a good thing. So I do apologize. My track is from the virtual recording. I thankfully had a backup there. So I had to use that just to let you know in advance. And second, I will put this in the show notes, but in case this just automatically pops on and you didn't read the show notes, I am going to give you a trigger warning about a couple subjects such as suicide body dysmorphic disorder, eating disorders, and body image issues. So many listeners reached out to me when they heard I was doing this episode with their stories, and they were so vulnerable and open with me telling me things that their family doesn't know, their partners don't know, their friends don't know, they don't reveal it on social media. And I'm so grateful because it really helped me have a better understanding of maybe some subjects that I didn't know all that much about. So it helped me ask questions, I think, in a little bit more of an informed way. All of that being said, it actually, in my opinion, is not that heavy of an episode. Granted, I'm giving you trigger warnings. And depending on where you are or how you feel about certain subjects that we discuss, I'm aware that it could be a heavy episode for some But I think overall, it's uplifting. There is great advice and tips. So I do think there's something in there for a lot of people. And I would encourage you to listen to it. Give it a shot. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you get something out of it. And if you don't, maybe you know someone and you can send it to them. So on that note, I will go ahead and introduce my guest. 
I'm here with Robin Stern, who is a body dysmorphic disorder and obsessive compulsive disorder specialist. She's a therapist working in New York, California, Florida, and New Jersey. Welcome to the show, Robin. Thank you so much, Jamie, for having me. So happy to be here. This is perfect timing for this episode because I was kind of reviewing different beauty treatments, lasers and fillers and Botox. I actually didn't get into the Botox, but just different beauty procedures. I was giving information about them and reviewing them, my thoughts on it. And I was about to come back for part two and something in me was like, this isn't right. I can't do it. I just did not want to do it. And I'm like, wait, no one's forcing me to do that episode. And I really wanted to think about why do I not want to do this? And I was like, it doesn't feel right. It feels very irresponsible to put that out before doing an episode like we're doing today. Because I think that talking about procedures and things like that, I don't want to trigger anyone who may be suffering from this or or may not even know that they're suffering from this. And I just thought, this would be the better episode to do first. No, and I think that's really responsible, you know, as someone who has like a media presence to have this conversation. I always speak to the fact that like, whenever I go and speak about body dysmorphic disorder or body image concerns or eating disorder, I by no means am ever saying to people like, you should not get any work done. I don't think that's a reality. I think it's about how do you navigate it and figure out, okay, are you struggling with something that you need to be more aware of things? And I think it's hard. And so I think that that's great that you're willing to have the conversation because I think there could be people that are in treatment and therapy that have, let's say, an eating disorder or a body dysmorphic disorder. There could be people that don't even realize they have something going on. Or just in general to be educated to know, okay, like I'm making these decisions because I think sometimes people even who don't have these disorders who go and get procedures and are unhappy after. And so I think that's great that, you know, you're willing to like go here and have this conversation, especially living in LA where I know appearance is very focused on and there's so much, you know, procedures that being done. And I never want to give this opinion of like, no one should get anything done because I don't think that's a reality. And I think that that sends the message of judgment, which I never want to be sent out there. It's more of like, let me educate and see like how I can best support people that need the support to make the decision. Is it the right, you know, call for them to get procedures? What do they need to think about? And I think it's important to have the conversation because there's so many people that are vulnerable to it. Absolutely. And I was so shocked at the feedback that I got from the listeners after I posted about having this episode with you today. I asked people to write in with their questions and I got a lot of stories, very vulnerable, very honest stories, things that they shared with me that they don't even tell their friends and They said, I never share this on social media. Most of my friends and family don't know about this, but they were compelled to let me know. And I have three stories and hopefully we have time to get to them. And I know you have experience with BDD. What is your background and what brought you into becoming a therapist in this area? I began struggling myself with body dysmorphic disorder, not knowing that. I was diagnosed at 22, so I was diagnosed 20 years ago. I probably was exhibiting symptoms in my late teens. I'm from Long Island. I'm from New York. So appearance is very highly looked at. There was a lot of comparing. I was bullied as a kid for my hair. I had curly hair and everybody had straight hair. So it was like this, I was kind of like this outcast. 
I didn't even know. And now I look back to see how it, you know, defined me. But by the time I hit college, I started to really see myself and felt that I was like this ugly, gross, disgusting person. And that's what you really hear when you hear people talk when they have BDD. It's not just, I don't like what I look like. And this is important for people to know when you hear body dysmorphic disorder. It's not like I don't like my nose or I don't like my skin. It's like I feel disgusting. I feel defective. And I don't feel like I just trigger warning deserve to be here. Essentially in college, I just thought that was me. And I thought, okay, I'm just like ugly and I other people are pretty and I'm probably just never going to get a boyfriend and this is my life. And then I got the diagnosis when I was 22 and it all really made sense to me. I will say that I was very private about it. And so that would speak to why the people that reached you through DMs probably haven't shared it with their family or friends, because it was something that you see with people with BDD, there's a lot of shame. And so the last thing that they're going to do is talk about it for various reasons. One, they don't want to bring notice to the area of concern that they don't like. And two, you know, when people hear you don't like some part of your body or your skin, they just automatically assume maybe you're vain or like, why can't you focus on other things? And believe me, it's the furthest thing from vanity. And I think that that's why people don't really understand it. And there's a lot of shame. And so I actually never really shared it with anybody. I never shared my story. I worked in the helping profession, went back to get my MSW at at, uh, CSUN in California and knew I was going to be a therapist for BDD and OCD, but actually never thought my story was ever going to be something I was going to share publicly because I just didn't feel, not that I was embarrassed by it, it just felt very personal. And then the last six years, it's just something changed within me where I felt that I needed to put a face and a voice to this disorder. And it has been cathartic for me. It's been at moments like very vulnerable for me to share like my deepest, darkest. But I think that it's important because I think there's so many people that struggle with this and they don't even realize it. And so if I made a difference in one person's life and can give them tools or strategies or just let them understand what this is, then I felt like I was doing something. And I felt like that was important to me because for so long, my identity in my own mind was what I look like. So this notion that I can give to people and help other people made my identity more than myself, which is something that I think people with BDD must do to get into recovery. Not only is it brave to discuss your story, but the fact that you want to take it another step forward and actually help others. I think that's really admirable. Thank you so much. Thank you. And I always hate to generalize, but as women especially growing up, younger girls, I think at some point in most of our lives, we are going to touch on one or all of these issues, whether it be the disordered eating or body image or body dysmorphic disorder or OCD. Yes. I think that whether or not you develop full-blown disorders from things that happen to you, I think our past and our childhood definitely shape us. And the people that are significant in our lives definitely shape what we call the core beliefs of how we view ourselves, right? Uh We're not what has happened to us, but like we can be strong and we can understand that things definitely like shape us. I agree. And I think we all have those moments. If I ask you or any of the listeners, what are the things someone said to you? I can remember them like it was yesterday, right? right? And it's like, it's incredible to me. And you know, it's still a work in progress. I think we all are, right? So it's like this notion of, 
Okay. So you now can look back and say, okay, this happened at nine to 12 years old, like me being bullied in school and being bullied about my appearance. And then my, you know, growing up in a family where appearance was focused. Okay. So you could understand that, but then you have to come to like present day and be like, is this helping you any longer? And as a therapist, yes, I deal with these disorders. I go a step further. I look at the whole individual and I start to say, okay, is this working for you now? Are the thought processes that you kind of held on to as a child or an adolescent or a teenager, is that working for you as an adult? Or is this like preventing you from really being happy and fulfilled in your life? Most people in this world are not saying and doing things to intentionally hurt you. Yes, you have your narcissist. Yes, you have your sociopath. And I can sit and talk about that for days. But most people in your life that you're coming in contact with are not those people. And they're saying things kind of off the cuff, not thinking like, I'm going to affect this person's trajectory and sense of self and worth. I think they're thinking, okay, I'm just going to say this. It's going to roll off them and we're going to keep it moving. So, you know, my job is not only to treat the diagnosis, but to treat and understand things like bullying and like, how does that 12 year old girl heal? So that doesn't define her. I got a tattoo last summer that says, let's unwrite these pages and replace them with our own words. I love that. I love it too. It's lyrics from a Rise Against song, but it meant what you just said. Just because people said these things about us doesn't mean that that's who we are. That's not our story. It's hard in today's world, right? I mean, with social media, with reality shows, I think, you know, bringing it back full circle, I think it's hard. I think there's so much judgment out there. I'm aging myself, but you know, I didn't grow up in lands of social media. So I feel like when I reached a certain age, like I felt like I got older and more mature. But I think when you look at like social media, there's so much immaturity out there, even when you hit the 40s and women and men are saying things and I'm like, why are we bullying each other at like 40 years old? Why are we not building each other up? Agreed. And I don't know why. And it's mostly women to women that are commenting on other women's appearances. And I kind of had a little light bulb moment because even as babies, as little kids, adults will go up to little girls And they will speak differently to them than they do to little boys. To the girls, it's, you're so cute. You're so pretty. I love your dress. To the boys, it's, oh, good job with that. Or you're so strong or nice catch. They appeal to their strengths and abilities. But to the girls, they appeal to their looks. Whoever is saying this, I'm sure I've done it. It's innocuous. You don't even think of it. But when you shed light on it and you put it in this big picture, it's like we've grown up with all of this and we're just so used to it. And now it's just a continuation of that on social media. Before we get into the whole social media aspect, which I'm dying to get into, (laughs) can you just describe what body dysmorphic disorder is? Absolutely. So it's in the DSM-5, which is the dictionary encyclopedia of all health issues. It's a mental health disorder that is at this point under the OCD spectrum disorder. I don't like the definition because it uses the word defect, which is what most people feel. Mm -hmm. But the definition is, is a minimal or non-existent defect in appearance that is not visible to anybody but the person who sees it. Their area of concern is not visible to another person. So people, let's say, who have let's say a birth defect or actual like cystic acne all over their face would actually not meet criteria for BDD. Would that mean that the therapy and support that we use to help the cognitive behavioral therapy, the exposure response prevention, and like building a life outside of appearance, 
that would be helpful for them, but they obviously don't meet the criteria. So like for me, my concern was my skin. I mean, to the point of when I was younger, I definitely had skin issues, but I outgrew it. But because of my BDD, I never felt that I did. And essentially, one pimple was one too many. I essentially just thought that's who I was. And I want to be clear, it goes deeper. It's not just that they see things exaggerated, but they also feel because of what they see, they feel different. I mean, my own personal narrative was like, I'm never going to find a person. I don't really just, I shouldn't be out like socializing. I just didn't feel like I deserved to be here. Again, I think the biggest point with BDD is that it is not something that others see. Now, people who are listening to this may say, oh, well, then I don't have it. And the thing is, is that if you're basing it on what you're perceiving, then you're not the judge of that. The truth be told, the only person that could really make the diagnosis is a clinician or a psychiatrist because it has to be objective, right? So like you could have a listener that's listening and saying, oh, you know what? Then I don't have BDD because I don't like my nose. My nose is awful. But again, that's the person seeing it. A person with BDD, unfortunately, does not have the visual perception to see themselves. And we know this because functional MRI studies show that people with BDD and eating disorders do not have the ability to process their image accurately. This is seen in the neuro makeup of their brain. I can see how BDD and eating disorders can sort of go hand in hand because would an example of BDD be someone who looks in the mirror and thinks that they're overweight when they're not? Because that's actually two of the stories that I received from the listeners is that they would look in the mirror and they saw themselves as overweight. Even when they were at their thinnest, one of them said when she would lay down on her stomach, it would hurt because she could feel her hip bones, but she was still starving herself because in the mirror, she still looked overweight. So I'm going to say this, that with both body dysmorphic disorder and eating disorder, there is a disturbance in your perception. So both with BDD and eating disorder, you're not seeing yourself correctly. So when we see, let's say, bulimia, binge and purge, or anorexia, when you're looking in the mirror, you're not able to see yourself. The biggest difference, there is a lot of co-occurrence in the disorders, but there's also a lot of like the separation. So the biggest thing for somebody with BDD, I'm going to give you an example of someone who meets criteria for both, is that Usually when you're dealing with, let's say, restriction, food, and weight, and that's the only concern you're dealing with, then you're dealing more with an eating disorder. Now, there is still the distortion in what you see, but with body dysmorphic disorder, if your issue is only about your weight, only about restriction of food, overeating, the binge, the purge, the restriction, like anorexia or binge eating or binge and purge, and that's the only thing that's manifesting, you wouldn't meet criteria for BD. Okay. Where you would for both, and I've had a lot of people with both, would be, I'm also concerned that I feel like my face looks a certain way, that my skin looks a certain way. And you do see a lot of that. We see a lot of people with BDD from their neck up. That doesn't necessarily mean you can't have other concerns. But with that being said, I think eating disorders are still more well-known than BDD because you have to understand BDD is not as well-known. And so I feel like if you go deeper with the person, there could be a possibility that other areas of concern do bother them. It might be somewhat natural to dislike certain things about your appearance, but if it crosses the line to where you think I'm worthless, I can't live life, then it becomes a disorder. Right. So the biggest thing, the word is disruption of functioning. You can want to change aspects of yourself and you could be fixated on things and you not meet criteria for this. 
where do you tend to meet criteria is when all of a sudden your level of functioning is disrupted by your concerns. So giving myself as an example, I wouldn't leave my house. Or when I was dating in my early 20s, I would only meet guys in the evening because I would feel like, okay, from 7 to 10 p.m., like I looked good enough to go out. But the notion of being in a relationship and having to like have them see me during the day when I perceived myself to look gross was not going to happen. The difference is people with this disorder have a significant disruption in their their level of functioning. And people that have body image concerns may want to change things, may not love things about themselves. But they're still living their life and they're not saying, okay, when I get this plastic surgery procedure, then all of a sudden I'm going to live my best life. Anyone who's suffering from this, if they think, okay, let me get this, let's say nose job, for example. Once I get this nose job, everything will be great. My life will be good. I could go out again. Let's say they do go forward with whatever procedure it is that they want. How do they feel afterwards? So most people with BDD are very unsatisfied after a surgical procedure. And there's often this guilt and shame that they destroy themselves or like the word that they, they were botched because the problem is, is that people with BDD have a perceptual distortion. So they're never able to see truly how they look initially. And then they're not usually able to see any changes and often tend to see it from a level of dissatisfaction. So we don't actually see improvement. And anybody that's in the small percentage that does, then they essentially go to another body part to fixate on. Whereas somebody, let's say, with body image issues, or let's say that wants to get Botox or filler, and people that don't have BDD, they usually walk out of those Mm -hmm. procedures feeling good about themselves and feeling like, I feel great. Got it. People who might alter their appearance through an app like FaceApp or Facetune or whatever, or Photoshop. Now, this has been going on forever. Magazine editors were Photoshopping everybody. I remember sitting in a magazine headquarters watching this man Photoshop Jessica Alba of all people. And I was like, what can you do to make Jessica Alba even prettier? And I sat there and I watched the whole process. And I'm like, yep, she looks seemingly prettier now. It's just common practice. And so now people are doing it to their own photos. So where do we draw the line with this? And if someone is changing the way their body or their face looks through a filter or an app. Is that a form of BDD? So interesting because I have a borderline obsession with the topic of filtering and almost to the point of like, I feel like people are like, Robin, give it up. (laughs) This is what I've actually realized. People who don't have BDD have a field day with filters and all of this because I think it's something more to do with, I want to get likes on my photo. I want people to think I'm pretty or attractive. Most people with BDD would not excessively filter because their biggest fear is that people will think they don't look like they do. Honestly, there's nothing wrong. I feel like you want to filter great. I always feel like when I have these conversations about filters, I don't want people to think like, I feel like, do you? Like, do whatever you want. I saw Bethany Frankel do a whole rant about this and, you know, how she's so transparent and good for her. Also, I didn't like the fact that she bashed people who were not honest about it. Because in, in some way, whether it's plastic surgery, cosmetic surgery, whatever you're getting done, you're going to a doctor's office to do it a lot of times, not all the time. Where's the line then between you're having a medical procedure done at a doctor's office Why is that everybody's business? Isn't that private information? And should you choose to share it to be transparent? Fine. That's great if you want to share it. But I'm not sure if I believe that everyone owes the public transparency with that. But I'm not sure. I don't know how I feel. 
And I agree with that. I think it's it's a hard call. I feel like you're right. No one owes anybody anything with transparency. But then again, depending upon what your platform is, right? You're in LA, so you could probably answer this. Like if you're in a position where you have people asking you and you're in like, and you're famous and you have, and somebody says like, have you got work done? What do you think? Do you think they should answer it and be honest? Personally, I don't think anyone should ask that of anybody. I think that's a rude question to ask. I think it's a private question. Right. And it speaks to like just how invasive people are into people's worlds. And I think it speaks to like social media and people thinking they know you and like can just ask you off the cuff, like sort of like, where did social graces go? Where like, you don't ask people those questions. You don't get into their life like that. And I think, you know, when we grew up, we didn't have access to people like that. So we were never able to ask those questions. And then also kind of like same side of, or what's the phrase? other side of the same coin. You know, I'll see where people comment on friends of mine who are in the public eye, they're on TV or whatnot. And I know exactly what app that they used. I know what setting they put it on. I know exactly why they look the way that they look in that picture. And yet I'll see a ton of comments being like, she had this work done. She had that work done. Look at all the work she's had done. And it's like, no, it's actually just an app. Also, it's as if those people are saying those things as if they're mad or judging or putting them down for it. So that to me is something that I haven't quite worked out yet in my head. It's like, okay, so that person, should they be like, hey, no, I'm using an app I didn't have work done? Or should they just be like, whatever, let people think whatever they want? I don't know. You know, my recommendation just to this, Jamie, like across the board is like, and this is how I enter into social media would be everyone should go into social media with like a grain of salt of knowing People may be airbrushing, people may be filtering it, and that's fine. We don't need to judge it. We don't need to like point it out so that this way you're less vulnerable to it, right? So that's what I teach my clients. Instead of going on and trying to figure out, did this person get work done or not? Or trying to figure out, is this a filter or not? Go on and know that you're probably going to see various things and try not to compare yourself to them. I do agree. I feel like, I don't know, I think the world in general is very invasive. And so I feel like people think they have a right and a duty to know things. And I agree with you. I think there has to be a line drawn. Like, what is that line drawn where, like, somebody has a personal private life and where it's in the public? Yeah. You know, and I had this conversation with somebody. And I think one of the things she talked about was this notion, like, if you're a model, then, like, is it your responsibility to share if you've had work done? I mean, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. I don't know, to be perfectly honest. Some things I still work out in my head and my opinions can change day to day. So I'm open to thinking about it further. And as of now, I don't have an answer to that. I don't know. So I guess I would err on the side of no, I don't think anyone owes anybody that information. But if it's causing harm, then I would probably want to find ways to mitigate any harm being caused, especially to young girls. So it's definitely a discussion that should be had. And I think talking about it helps me kind of work it out. <laughs> and you know what's funny about the Bethany thing? What? Is that then I go watch some of her stuff and she's filtered. Mm. And I'm like, pick a side, pick a lane. You're blowing everybody else up. Yeah. I just don't think anyone is a martyr who goes out and says like, oh, I'm going to be transparent and tell you that I did this filter on this and that. Right. I don't think you should be patting yourself on the back for that. I think it's cool if you want to do that. Right. Right. And so what I think, you know, my thing, and again, obviously as a BDD therapist, I I try to be transparent in that. And that's a little bit different, but I'm going to say this. 
is it anybody's obligation to say anything? No. And I, I think it's more about educating people and understanding. You don't know what you're looking at. So be aware of when you're comparing yourself and when you want to look, you don't know what that other person has done. You don't know if it's makeup. You don't know if it's lighting. You don't know if it's apps. And I would probably just say, stay there, right? Versus like them having to sit there and explain to you every app they've used, every lighting they've used, every procedure. I don't, I agree with you. I don't think, and I don't think we're ever going to get there. So I feel like to counteract that, just know going on to these sites, that's probably what you're going to see. That's my recommendation to all my clients. Know that you're looking at things that are probably not 100% accurate. And that's a better way because I don't think anybody is going to be transparent. I don't think we could ever force that upon somebody, nor do I think we need to. And I think that's my thing with filtering. Like I was getting up very into it and I realized that's probably coming from my own history of BDD Mm. because that's my own stuff. And I don't want to put that on anybody else. If they enjoy filtering, please go and do it. That's okay. That's not something I choose to do, but I'm not going to judge another person. I just know as a clinician, I tell my clients, just be aware that when you're looking at social media photos, the same way that back in the day when you looked at magazine photos, just know it's probably airbrushed. So when you feel that you don't look as good as other people, try to bring it back to a sense of reality-based. And that's it. Because what does that mean if somebody shares, I got a nose job or I got my cheeks? Exactly. What does that do? It doesn't do anything. Truthfully, for the next person, they're just going to be like, I want to get it done. Now, like after speaking to you, I realize it's not necessary. It's more helpful for people to go on these sites and realize they're probably not looking at the real picture than it is for people to sit there and disclose. Because guess what, Jamie? We all know who probably got worked and not, what do we need it for our ego for them to admit it? Yeah, I think it is for a lot of people's egos. If she had all this work done, so she's not naturally pretty. And it's like, does that really help you to know that? Even like with the Kardashians, everyone wants them to own. It's like, who cares? What does that do for your life? How does that change your life? Why do you need to hear that public statement? Is that going to make your life better? What's better for a person who struggles with body image or an eating disorder or BDD or just anybody that's susceptible to comparing themselves on social media is to know that it's a form of artistic expression. But you don't need them to come out and publicly state that because that still doesn't change how you feel about yourself. So what does that do? You know, it's funny, like talking to you makes me realize this because I used to feel that people in certain positions had the obligation to share it. And the more I'm talking to you, the more I realize why. I think the responsibility should always lie within ourselves, not the That's other true. person. And so you, you hit on that. You're like, you know what? It's more important for anyone who's yeah. looking at it to know, yeah. let me take this with a grain of salt. That's the only thing we can control is ourselves and how we feel about things. And for the young girls who may not know that, I think it's important they do know that. I was reading that one in four sufferers of BDD attempt suicide, yeah. which is staggering. So I think it's really important, however we get that message out to especially the younger girls, it's important that they know that. Right. I mean, it's a very serious disorder. You know, now we see that 80% of people with BDD have experienced some kind of traumatic event. It could be abuse. It could be bullying. It could be just, you know, an unhealthy household. So there's many different things that could lead to the development of it that we're still uncovering. But again, I think the responsibility goes back to themselves. And, you know, I think about even my own treatment. It was like, it was on me. It was on my 
I needed to not do those things. It's not on everybody else's responsibility to declare what they do, who they are. It's on the person. If it affects you, then you need to know, okay, like I need to be more vigilant when I go online and not sit and tear a person apart that they're doing it. So they want to filter. Okay, big deal. How does that impact Uh you? I think you always bring it back to yourself. Let them do whatever it is they want to do. Just in general, body image, my biggest thing is because I think more people in this world will suffer from body image concerns is try not to let it affect you. Meaning like, and that's easier said than done. Understand that you're much more than that. That you're a great person. You're a great mom. You're a great friend. You're a great business person. All your great attributes. Yes, your appearance is one of them, but it does not define you. So I was doing some research on you, obviously, before I brought you on. You were on Lala's podcast. So I listened to that before having you on just because I didn't want to go over anything that she had already gone over because I do think we have some overlap with listeners. So I just want to let the listeners know that if they wanted to hear anything else on this conversation to check out, give them Lala's episode with you on it. You did it back in September. Yes. I mentioned that I had three listeners write in. We kind of hit on the two earlier who had written in with the eating disorder and the BDD. They both mentioned that they feel like they will have this for the rest of their lives. Eating disorders and body dysmorphic disorder are chronic mental health issues. So similar to like sobriety, it's something you really have to work on. To the degree that you have to work on it varies from person to person. You know, what I strive to do with clients is get them to a place where they're really living fully so that their chances of relapsing are less and that if they do, they have the tools and strategies. But I'll be open and saying I've had probably four relapses since I've been diagnosed. And I'm not ashamed to say that because it's human, right? And it happens. But I always want to say like, if they're struggling right now, and if they reach to you right now, and they're saying like, I'm in a lot of pain, what I would like them to hear is that that pain doesn't have to last like that. That level of discomfort doesn't have to be that. And that can change. And that usually does with the right help and support. What are some ways to seek support? You are licensed in New York, California, Florida, New Jersey. So I believe that means only people in those four states are patients who you can legally work with. Is that right? Yeah. So right now I'm also getting licensed in Delaware and I'm trying to get licensed in more states just because unfortunately this is, it was just, I actually just got off a call because I'm very involved in the International OCD Foundation. There's just not a lot of true BDD specialists. And so my recommendation would be there's the International OCD Foundation and they have a lot of referrals. I mean, you could always reach out to me and I can always try to link you with a therapist in your area. I do obviously have a lot of people that I know and a lot of people that I can help to kind of find that right person. Okay, awesome. And I did have one other listener that wrote in and she's a very special woman. She is so sweet. She has a son who was diagnosed two years ago with cancer. During those two years, she also had two miscarriages. She is now suffering from thinking every little thing is potentially a catastrophe. And she has major anxiety, understandably so, surrounding anything that goes on in her life. I would imagine that this is very common to someone who suffers something so traumatic. Do you have any advice for her. One is to honor that. So I want to be clear. I feel like people feel ashamed of feeling anxious. Honor your story. Honor what you've been through. And understand that like we talked about at the beginning, like what has happened to us does shape us. We obviously know that when it's hurting us and when we struggle day in and day out, what can we do to help? Uh It's interesting. This is not about 
what we talked about, but I've had a lot of health related trauma that has also made me kind of go into some of the stuff that you just described. And so some of the things that I found that are helpful from like a clinical and personal lens are understand why you're feeling the way you're feeling. You're overwhelmed. You've had a lot happen and understand that it really kind of essentially breaks your nervous system and your cortisol and all of that. And it kind of throws your body into flux. And that's a reality. But we then want to find ways to make someone feel like they have the ability to move forward. So I am not giving therapeutic advice, but I'm going to give some resources that may be helpful. For trauma work, there are a lot of therapies that are very effective at helping you to kind of rebalance and enter into the world where you don't feel heightened all the time. And so some of those are somatic experiencing, and these are licensed clinicians that do this, by the way. So you always want to look for someone licensed or what they call EMD. And those are both evidence-based practices to help trauma. Because remember, we all have had experiences and they definitely can impact us. But if it's really making it hard for you day to day, or you're always afraid that something terrible and catastrophic is going to happen, like I said, your nervous system gets shot. I also, from a personal experience, think like anything that you connect to your body is really helpful, right? So getting into some kind of meditation, like I love Insight Timer. It's a free app. Listen to some guided meditation. It needs to be a part of your daily routine. It doesn't have to be like a hot yoga practice. Actually, I'd rather you do like restorative yoga. Really connecting your body and your breath, coming back to the here and now. Really all important practices that help you come back to the here and now. And you want to be able to process through it so you can you can be highly functioning and you could feel like you can get through things and that your trauma isn't dictating who you are today. And there's a lot of support and help in that. If it's affecting you now, is it helping you? Or is it impacting you in a negative way where you're like almost feeling like you can't function? And I definitely have been there, by the way. And that's when I've had to go deeper and be like, okay, like, is being worried 24-7 about like the next shoe to drop, is that going to help me here? Or do I need to find a way to handle this? And I think that's what a lot of people that are traumatized do. They end up like kind of reliving the trauma every day. And it's just, it's mentally and physically exhausting. I know the feeling where it feels like your nerves are kind of just so shot. You can't take one more thing. And I think that's great advice to kind of do that restorative yoga, to do the guided meditation. Each and every day, you should write three things that you're grateful for. Three things that no longer serve you. We hold on to a lot of things that do not serve us. And we need to let it go. We don't get a medal for holding on to our past stuff. There's no medal there. So we can let it go. I know sometimes people feel, and I definitely did, that if I don't hold on to the pains that have happened to me, then I'm acting like it didn't happen. But guess what? The only person that gets impacted by holding on to your pain story is you. So yes. three things you're grateful for, three things that no longer serve you, and three things that you would like and act as if it's happening to you right now. And life is not easy. And I am not here to tell you it is. We are always going to be hit with stuff. We are always going to be faced with things when we're just like, things are finally good. Why is this happening? When life hits us, how do we walk through it so that we don't feel like the world is being pulled out from under us? I want people to feel they're not alone in their pain, but how we approach it 
will help us. There's two great books I'm going to recommend. Radical Acceptance by Tara Brock and The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. So good. But I never want to minimize somebody's pain. Mm-hmm. What that must be like, because I'm a parent, I can't even imagine. But you have to find a way to navigate so that you don't feel like the world is being pulled out under you because it's like you're drowning every day. Right. Obviously what this listener is going through is something extremely, extremely difficult, but I just know we don't have to carry everything. We don't have to carry all of that trauma with us. There's actually a great speech about that. It's called the four ways to let go. It's on YouTube. It's by this monk. Ooh, I want to look at that. Yeah. He's an Australian monk. His name is Ajahn Brahm. I'll put it in the show notes too. Perfect. He's really funny. I love his accent. This speech changed my life. I listened to this. I remember walking around West Hollywood, your old neighborhood as well, (laughs) listening to this in my ears after I left my ex-fiance and it completely helped me, change my life, helped me let go of things I was holding on to. So definitely recommend his talk. Yeah. I just want to say that I think we all have it within ourselves to live our best life. And I know this was about body image, but just in general, like don't let your experiences define you, let it build you and strengthen you, but don't let it destroy you. That's not what happens at the end. At the end, it's not like what you've held on to is what makes you the person. The strength is actually what you're able to release to find the beautiful things in your life and realizing that we all struggle and we all have losses and we all have various things, but life also has beauty in it and finding it wherever you can and as often as you can. That's a wonderful note to end on. Thank you so much, Robin, for being here and contributing all of this time to the podcast. I think it's really important and everything that you have to say. I think it's very brave. I love that you're helping others. Where can people reach out to you? Absolutely. So you can find me on Instagram at the BDD and OCD therapist, or you can find me on my website at rlsterntherapy.com. You could always, like I said, reach out if you need resources or you want to just ask any questions. I'm always available to be able to respond and give support when needed. Who is your favorite band slash artist slash singer? (laughs) Oh my God, that can take me into a whole other conversation as my ex-fiance was a musician. Oh my gosh. Well, now I know why he's your ex. (laughs) Exactly. So that's really, that's actually really, um, oh my God, that's really fun. So I love music. I've always loved music. We need an outro song for you. What would be your song? Okay, so it's going to be, and it's old, it's, train she's on fire okay awesome thank you so much for being here thank you so much jamie for having me it was so great speaking to you i feel like i've known you you're just so easy to talk to and you just are so sweet and kind oh thank you well this is just between us but between us let's 